Welcome to the sermon podcast from Free School Court Church in Bridgend. This podcast features sermons from the Bible, which are recorded at our Sunday services each week. To find out more, please visit our website, freeschoolcourt.org.uk, or find us on social media. Let's turn again to God's Word. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. It's great, isn't it? We've got no crash this morning, so it's great to have the, uh, the little kids in with us this morning, and it's great to have them running around and um, hearing their voice. And so let's be um, gracious to them as, um, as they're with us in here this morning. It's great to have them with us. I wonder, if you look back on different times in your life, can you think of the, those times that maybe you didn't know it at the time, but have since turned out to be life-changing, pivotal moments which shaped the direction of your life from then onwards. An example of this for me is the decision to go to university and the decision to go to university in Aberystwyth in Wales. At the time, you, you of course think that that's quite a big decision, but I had no idea that it would lead me to um, living in Wales these years later. It was a huge turning point in my life. And we all, don't we, have moments in our lives where we make decisions that shape the whole future of our lives. And in Ruth chapter 1, we meet two women who must make such a life decision that is going to shape their lives from that moment forward. We explored a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, Naomi's view of the situation here in Ruth chapter 1. And now we turn our attention to her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and to Ruth. These are two women who, as we read in verses 4 and 5, they're Moabite women. And they've married Naomi's sons. And those two sons, like Naomi's husband, Ruth and Orpah's two sons have also died And so we're left with these three widows, Naomi, and then her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Naomi describes herself in this chapter one as someone who is empty. And you could apply that same word to to, uh, Ruth and to Orpah as well, couldn't you? These were people who were empty. They've lost um, their nearest and dearest, as it were. And we're told, aren't we, in verse 6 and verse 7, that like Naomi, Ruth and Orpah hear this news of bread in Bethlehem. They hear the news that God has visited his people across the border in Judah, in Bethlehem, and has given them food. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So Naomi gets word from her homeland across the border in Judah that there has been food, that the Lord has visited his people with food. And so, somewhat understandably, she gets up and decides to return home. But slightly more interestingly is we we see here, don't we, that Ruth and Orpah, her two daughters-in-law, set out with her on this journey. They're at home, aren't they, in Moab? But they get up with Naomi and set out on this journey with her to return home. 
We can imagine all those years years ago, can't we? These three women packing um, probably what little belongings they had and preparing to set out on this journey. It's a, a mountainous journey of around 50 or so miles around the Dead Sea from Moab to the land of Judah and to Bethlehem. And we can imagine them setting off on this difficult mountainous journey. And as they go, we can imagine, can't we, that the atmosphere was heavy as they were setting out on this journey. No doubt they were thinking about all the different things that were going on in their situation. And we can imagine them, can't we, arriving at the border between Moab and Judah. I don't think that there was a a welcome to Bethlehem or a welcome to Judah sign there at the border, but we can imagine them getting to this point. And finally, Naomi speaks what has been on on her mind as they're going on, on this journey. Naomi's been, um, no doubt, thinking about what she's going to say, thinking about whether she should let them come with her all the way or whether she should send her daughters-in-law back to Moab. And finally, we have verse 8, don't we? Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. No doubt Naomi's been thinking as they go, as they set off on this journey, of all the kindness that Ruth and Orpah have shown in staying with her after their husbands have all died. And we'll see uh, in just a moment how important that word kindness is to this book as a whole. But Naomi acknowledges this kindness, and then she asks the Lord that he would show Ruth and Orpah kindness as she sends them back home in Moab. What Naomi is doing here is releasing her daughters-in-law from any commitment to her. She's telling them, don't worry about me anymore. I'm going to go and I'm going to try and make my own way back home in Judah. She's saying, forget any commitment that you think you might have to me. You go back. Go back first to your mother's house and there you'll find safety and security. Perhaps you'll be able to get married again and start a family there and build a new life apart from me. Let's look at what Naomi tells her daughters-in-law in in verse 9 and through to verse 14. She says, May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi tells them that essentially there's not much hope of them finding a family over with her in Judah in Bethlehem. And she tells them instead that they should return home, that they might find rest. What Naomi is telling them is that if they come with her, the future is a life of difficulty, a life of uncertainty, a life of struggle. But if they go back, then there's a good chance that they will find rest. They'll find a life of security in the house of family and in the house of maybe a new husband. And at this, we see that Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, does indeed return home. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth 
clung to her. And it seems like a sensible decision, doesn't it, from Orpah? It seems sensible to, in this situation, put herself first and to return home to find safety and security back at home in Moab. But as we'll see as we unfold this chapter, we'll see that this decision does actually lack a little bit of faith. By contrast, Ruth walks away from any attack. Uh, by contrast, Ruth walks away from her homeland, from her family, and goes on, doesn't she, with Naomi to the land of Judah. Orpah doesn't want to leave behind her homeland and decides that the sensible thing to do is to return. As verse 15 says, to go back to her people and her gods. That's what she does. Naomi, as I said, seems convinced that there is no future for these women in Judah. There's no security. There's no prospects of marriage or family. And so she urges them to put themselves first and to return. We have to wonder at this point as well, don't we, whether for Naomi it might be um, a difficult thing to go back to the land of Judah with these two Moabite women. This will be an ongoing reminder to her of her time away in Moab, of the death of her husband and her two sons. It'll be a difficult thing for her to do. And what are we left with? We're left with this picture, aren't we, of this trio of women standing on the border between Moab and Judah, with these contrasting decisions, these choices laid before them. We have a whole set of contrasts here, don't we? And the contrasts of the final decisions that they make. On the one hand, we have Ruth. On the other hand, we have Orpah. On the one hand, we have the land of Moab. On the other hand, we have the land of Judah. On the one hand, we have returning to their mother's house in Moab. And on the other hand, we have going with their mother-in-law to the land of Judah. On the one hand, we have self-interest and putting their own security first. On the other hand, we have self-giving love in following on behind their mother-in-law. And the final choice is between the gods of Moab and between the Lord. Between the gods of Moab and the Lord. These are the decisions that are laid out before us. And we see, don't we, that Ruth refuses to leave her mother-in-law behind and instead makes a commitment, makes a promise to her, which is twofold. And we see this in verses 16 and 17. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth makes a twofold commitment. Firstly, she commits to Naomi, doesn't she? She commits to her mother-in-law to go with her wherever she goes, to love and to care for her, to continue to intertwine their families, to, to bind together their futures and their fortunes, no matter whether that's good or bad, and no matter the cost to herself, no matter the uncertainty. C.S. Lewis says that friendship is born at the moment when one says to another, what, you too? But in this case, it seems to me that it's a life of shared suffering, shared grief, 
that has um, bound Ruth to Naomi and a deep love and affection for her, a deep concern for what is going to become of her. And that means that she'd rather stay with her and return from Moab than return to Moab and seek security there. Ruth commits to a potentially, to a, a likely difficult future facing poverty and ostracism. And she commits to it out of a love for her mother-in-law, Naomi. She commits to Naomi. And secondly, she commits to the Lord, doesn't she? On a more deeper level, a more significant level, what Ruth is doing here is committing to the Lord, the God of Judah. It's in his name that she makes this promise in verse 17, isn't it? In verse 16, she says, your people will be my people and your God, my God. And then she says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth commits to Naomi, but she commits to Naomi's God. She, in effect, renounces her homeland, renounces the gods of Moab and says, your God is going to be my God now. She even goes so far as to make this promise in that God's name. The author of the book of Ruth is showing us clearly that Ruth is leaving her country, her gods, and her people, and is instead entrusting herself and her future to the Lord. What Ruth is doing here, make no mistake about it, is she is seeking refuge and security in the Lord, the God of Judah. And there's a really interesting thing that's going on here in this chapter, and that is that we're told that Ruth herself is returning to the land of Judah. Uh, It's in verse 22. It's a little bit obscured in some versions, but if you've got an ESV or if you've got a New King James, you'll see that it's written like this, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. We're told there, seems a little bit strange, doesn't it? But we're told that Ruth the Moabite returns from Moab, a homeland where she's always lived as far as we know, to the land of Judah. A couple of weeks ago when we looked at this chapter before, we considered, didn't we, the significance of that word return and how it is used throughout the scriptures to talk about repentance and spiritual restoration. And I wonder here as well if there's something more going on here. You might remember that the, la- uh, the nation of Moab was formed through Lot's descendants, through Lot's daughters. And I wonder here, is the author showing us that there is hope for the nations to be um, integrated, to return back in to the people of Judah, to the people of Israel? We started, didn't we, with those verses from Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. His love goes on and on. So often there is opportunity, isn't there, for people who will commit themselves to the Lord to find hope and to find a future in him. What we see here is that through Ruth's own act of radical kindness and love to her mother-in-law, she is also taking refuge in the Lord who in turn is being kind and loving towards her. So the question is, what should we ourselves take from this story, this true story 
But this story that happened all those years ago, what are we to learn? How are we to apply this to our lives? Well, first and foremost, we are to commit ourselves to God. We are to commit ourselves to God. We must, like Ruth did, commit ourselves to the true and living God. She was faced with a choice, wasn't she, of returning to her homeland, a land that really knew nothing of the true and living God, or going on into uncertainty, but entrusting herself to the true and living God. I think it's safe to say that Ruth had heard enough from her mother-in-law, from her father-in-law, to know that it was worth leaving all that she had in the land of Moab and instead seeking to take refuge in the Lord. I think this is tantamount to a conversion. I think Ruth here, as I said, is renouncing her own God, her own past, and instead trusting herself, entrusting herself to the Lord, to live for him from now on, to trust him for her future. And the truth is that we must all be confronted at some point with this same choice. We must stand at the border, so to speak, between Moab and Judah and make our own choice. We must decide whether we're going to go our own way or whether we're going to entrust ourselves to the Lord. Apart from God, we are under judgment and in death. As we heard this morning, apart from God, we have this inside sickness This inside sickness which the holy God of all the universe will judge because he is perfect. Left to ourselves, we turn away from God, don't we? We we seek to go our own way and do what we think is right. We break all of God's perfect and holy laws and we are under his judgment. To, To reject the God of life, I say this often, is to choose death, isn't it? Death for ourselves. But it's in relationship with God that we were created to have that we find love and acceptance and a future and so as we stand at this border in our minds this morning we need to make that choice are we going to turn from our sins are we going to turn from our past and entrust our future instead to the lord are we going to repent and find forgiveness in jesus are we going to take refuge in jesus and entrust our lives to him as our lord and savior It's probably not an easy life. Many of us could testify to that, but it is worth it to have our futures in the hands of the all-powerful God. You see, apart from God, we are under judgment. Our sins will be judged. But the good news is that Jesus came, lived a perfect life without that sickness that we call sin, and then he died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just an ordinary death, but on the cross, he paid the price for all of our sins. He took God's wrath against sin on himself on the cross and took it all away for all who trust in him. And then because death is the punishment for sin and because Jesus had not sinned and because he'd paid the price for sin, he rose again to live forevermore. Even 2,000 years later, after rising from the dead, Jesus is still alive in heaven now and all who trust in him will find life in him. Although we might die and our bodies be buried on earth, we will go to heaven to be with him until he returns and makes us new. And so each of us this morning are standing at that border and we need to make the decision. Many of us have been following Jesus for years and years, haven't we? But there are others here, maybe this morning, who are standing at that border this, this morning 
who haven't made that decision of whether they're going to return and live in Moab, as it were, or whether they're going to entrust the rest of their lives to Jesus. What will it be this morning? And I have a word for the children at this point as well. I want to speak specifically to you children. There are some things about yourselves that you can't change when you're a child. You can't change where you were born. You can't change the colors of your eyes, can you? But I want you to understand this morning what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian isn't that your parents are Christians. It's not that they bring you along to church. What makes you a Christian is that you have a trust for Jesus all of your own. That's the decision that we have to make as we grow up, to entrust ourselves to Jesus, to live for him. And that's a decision that we all have to make. And although many of you are young, you can make that decision even now to entrust your life to Jesus and seek to follow him. And we as a church and your parents will seek to help you as you do that. We all have to make this decision to commit ourselves to God, just like Ruth did. And the second thing that we learn from this passage is that we have to commit to God's people. Commit to God's people. We see that in verse 10, don't we? Ruth and Orpah said, we will go back with you to your people. Verse 16 Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will become my people. Your people will be my people. So a commitment to God comes with it, a commitment to God's people. Ruth had no idea, did she, what she would find in the land of Judah, whether the people there would be kind to her or whether they would hate her. There was often a really strained and bad relationship between people from Moab and people from Judah. But she still commits herself to God and to God's people. She commits because she wants to commit her future to the Lord, because she wants to be there for Naomi. Really, the whole book of Ruth is about an outsider being welcomed in. And it's the same for us, isn't it? Whether we're born in Christian families or not, the church should be a place where people who were once not in relationship with God can now find a warm welcome. All who trust in Jesus become God's people, his family, by faith. And in relationship with Jesus, we become God's children. And that means being part of his people, the church. So to commit to God is to commit to God's people, to commit to the church. It's to commit to showing them the same loyalty and radical kindness that Ruth showed to Naomi. And it's to do that even and especially when it's costly, when it's difficult for us, when it's hard. Think of how much it was those things for Ruth to leave behind her homeland, all out of love for Naomi and out of commitment to God. We have people in our church, don't we? People who are struggling and hurting. People who would so benefit from us getting alongside them to carry their burdens, to to show them love and kindness. And that's what we're called to do, to commit to God's people in service, in serving one another, in serving the church, in giving time, in giving our prayers, in giving financially to help the church, in encouraging one another. That's what we're to do. We're to give ourselves, to commit ourselves to encouraging one another week by week. That means even when we really don't want to get out of bed, we should be showing up to encourage one another with our presence here. 
We should be showing up so that we can sing to one another and encourage one another by singing loudly praises to God. I was watching something this week, uh, a sporting event over in America, and I noticed, and I've noticed this before, that when the US national anthem is played at sporting events, the people in the crowd don't really sing along. I don't know why that is, but the people in the crowd never really seem to join in with the singing. How different it is here in Wales. When you go to a sporting event here in Wales, the highlight is often the singing of the Welsh national anthem before. And when we come to church, we should be showing up to sing to one another loudly and from our hearts to encourage one another. So let me ask you this morning, are you committed to God's people? Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you involved here spiritually or superficially? Are our conversations, are our relationships at a spiritual level or are they superficial only? Are we prepared to commit to asking one another how we're doing in our walk with Jesus? For some of us, as we get older, it starts to feel, doesn't it, like we've um, gone past the time of our usefulness here in the church. And it is difficult getting older, isn't it, and feeling like we can't do much to help the church. But even just by being here, even by calling one another up on the phone if you can't make it here in person, checking in on one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, these are things that we can do that are so encouraging for us as a church as we commit to God's people, each of us, to be here for one another. And it's difficult, isn't it, for some of us to commit to God's church. I'm sure there are people here this morning, there are people watching online who have been hurt by churches in the past. People who have had their fingers burned by different things happening in churches. People who have had horrible things done to them in churches. And that's all the more reason for us to commit to one another to commit to making our church here a place of refuge, a place where we can find safety and love and acceptance. What really is the book of Ruth about if it's not about a vulnerable set of people finding refuge and security in the Lord through the Lord's people? That's what the book of Ruth is about. As we go through, we'll see that the book of Ruth is vulnerable people seeking refuge in the Lord and finding it in amongst his people. And that's my heart for the church here. My vision for the church here is that we'll be a people committed to God and committed to one another, committed to being a place of welcome and security for each of us here and for those in the community as well. Let's together, by God's grace, build a community here in Free School Court that is marked by that sacrificial love, commitment and kindness that we see on display here in the book of Ruth. And thirdly and finally, one more thing that we see here, and that's a commitment to godliness. We see a commitment to God, a commitment to God's people, and now a commitment to uh, to godliness. Commitment to godliness. Ruth herself went from a place of deep and painful suffering to committing to God and to committing to God's people. And as she does that, Ruth shows us divine kindness on display. Even though, as we see, Naomi didn't fully appreciate it initially. It's interesting, isn't it, what Naomi says in verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. It's an interesting phrase, given the context, isn't it? Because we think about why did Naomi and her family leave? Well, it's because they wanted food, because they were hungry. 
but she says she went away full because she went with her husband and her two sons. She says she comes back empty. Why? Because she comes without her husband and without her two sons. But of course, she comes with Ruth, so she's not alone. She comes back with Ruth. And we'll see here that as the book of Ruth unfolds, Ruth proves to be more than seven sons to Naomi. And there's a jarring contrast here, isn't there? That in the time when the judges ruled, in a time when each person did what was right in their own eyes, in a time when people did what was evil in the sight of God, we find here Ruth, a foreigner, an outsider. Yet what is she doing? But she is putting on display the character of God as she shows kindness to her mother-in-law, as she denies herself, her own future, her people, and she goes with Naomi to go with her. We see God's love on display in and through her. I said, didn't I, that that word kindness was crucially important to the book of Ruth, and it's crucially important to the whole of the Bible, really. It's a word that comes up time and time again. Sometimes uh, translated as kindness or loving kindness or as steadfast love. And that's because it's a difficult word to translate because it means all of those things in once. One commentator says that this word is a term of endearment and commitment, incorporating all the positive attributes of God, love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness and loyalty, all demonstrated in acts of devotion. That's what Ruth puts on display here. What she demonstrates is ultimately godliness. What she does is godlike. It's Christ-like. And that's what we're called to do as followers of God, as followers of Jesus. We're called to put this kindness, this steadfast love on display to people inside our church and people outside our church. People in our own families. I've got to say, I I don't think that there are many more beautiful pictures of the gospel on display than people who are caring for their parents, elderly parents, um, relatives who need extra help and care. I know it's difficult, it's hard, isn't it? It's something which often consumes your whole life if you're a carer for someone. But what a beautiful picture of the gospel that is to pour yourself out for the love of another. This is the kind of life that we're called to as Christians. It's hard, isn't it? But God sees it and it pleases him as we, by his grace, reflect him, driven by faith in him and love for him and love for one another. This is a beautiful and pleasing thing to him. And so we should be looking for ways to display this godliness one to another, praying that the spirit would be at work in our hearts to make us more like Jesus so that we can be more like him and do more of this for one another and for our community. That is what we are called to do as Christians. We're called to commit to God, to commit to God's people, and to commit to godliness, to showing this loving kindness, this steadfast love for one another. Let's pray that by God's grace, each and every one of us will do that. Amen.